Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. Today, we'll be talking about a subject that has profound implications on a personal level as well as on a social level. That issue is healthy families and healthy parenting. We've been talking quite a lot lately about making changes in life. And for parents or anyone in an unhealthy family dynamic, that may seem out of reach. I know that you may at times listen to it and say, that's not even possible in my life. That's how big of a challenging parenting can be. So today I have a very special guest, Dr. Victoria Ang Nolasco. She's a pediatrician and author of the book, Toddler Talking, and she's founder of the Effective Parenting Academy and host of the Discerning Parenting Podcast, which will be launched next week. I've invited her here today because one of the biggest issues that I see as a challenge for people in achieving true health is that we're living in a society that doesn't support parents. Parenting requires, parenting requires us to be superhuman, trying to fill all the multiple roles that used to be covered by extended family and a more tight-knit community. And a, more, and a greater social safety net. Parenting becomes all-consuming, puts strain on marriages, and leaves little time and energy for the parent's self-care. Dr. Victoria's parenting programs can provide insights and breakthroughs into resolving some of these challenges and creating a more harmonious family life. Her program is science-based and practical. So welcome, Dr. Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Dr. Camille, for this opportunity to speak at your podcast. Oh, I really appreciate it. Please tell us a little bit more about your background and what led you to develop your programs. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician, and I also love to teach and coach so before, in addition to a pediatric practice, I also taught university students about brain psychology and also medical students and pediatric residents about child development. Then when I became a parent, I realized there are so many mixed messages that are stressing out so many moms. And I expected that maybe parenting shouldn't be so hard. After all, I have been teaching about these topics even before I got married. But that's just not the case. I experienced the stress, the sleepless nights. I experienced questioning myself. And aside from my own experience in being a parent, I also found that the time I have in the clinic with the families I work with, it's not enough to fully support the parents. So I remember getting hoarse, trying to explain everything. I always <laughs> lost my voice at the end of the day. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. And the thing is at the clinic, I think maybe some of the listeners here can relate. I don't think parents want to hear a lecture at the clinic. 
So I tried looking for resources that can continue to guide them that they can listen to on their own time, even after they leave the clinic, but I couldn't find any. So eventually, along with a group of my colleagues, we decided to create the resources we always wish we had. So uh, we have our self-study courses. We also have our coaching programs. And I decided to focus primarily on parent coaching for parents of kids age five and below. And I think that's really such an important age, you know, because kids are being imprinted at that time. That's when they're learning about the world and they're modeling after their parents. And it's a time that sets the tone for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's so true. That's actually a big uh, thing right now. They call it early relational health, and there are so many researches that are coming out about this, about how important the early years are, and they influence not just how kids are now, but how how they are when they're older. So how we are now, how we feel, how we see the world, how we see ourselves, a lot of it is rooted in what we experienced, even before we can remember those experiences. Absolutely. That's such an important point that that imprinting happens before we even remember it. And and because of it, it impacts society as a whole, because that's what we take into the world. And that's what that's how we behave every day with, you know, at work and, you know, in in with our spouses and everywhere else. So what do you see as the biggest challenges that parents face today? Hmm. There are really a lot. I think that parenting today is really challenging. Uh, there's a survey that showed that majority of parents believe that parenting today is really more difficult than it was 20 years ago. And often a mom will ask me, why am I finding it so hard? And maybe they'll say something like their mom or their grandma had six or eight or 10 kids and it all seemed effortless. And I've even heard some say that today's generation are weaker because Things that the previous generation found easy, we're now finding difficult. But that's not true. We can't compare the previous generations of parents to today's parents because the world is simply different. So for the challenges, I'd I'd say three. So uh, the explosion of screen time and the lack of play and... Of course, the COVID pandemic and post-pandemic parenting. So for screen time... Screen time, it's getting more and more engaging, more and more addictive. Uh, Camille, Dr. Camille, I, I guess we're from the same generation. So when we were kids, no matter how much we begged our parents, we had to wait for our favorite shows to come on. So we can watch a 30-minute show, and then we wouldn't be able to watch the next show until after a week. But today, right? yeah, kids can, kids can binge watch an entire season of their favorite shows, or several shows and the entire burden of controlling skin the entire burden of controlling the screen time rests on the parents so it takes a huge amount of willpower and a lot of creativity to stop kids from simply binge watching the whole day well and it's really important too that you know the parents come home so exhausted and they want to binge watch too and yeah. You know, I think that's a lot of why I wanted to have you on is because we do have a lot of really unhealthy family cycles. And it's it's really hard when you feel as though you've given 
100% at work and then you have to come home and give 100% and you know it it makes it makes self-care goals really feel impossible that's true it's extremely exhausting i talk with a lot of parents and i'm in awe at how they're able to do so much they have a full-time job they have the commute and then they have to give as you said 100% of themselves at home and sometimes they have many other responsibilities to take care of and then sometimes they ask me how can i be more patient and i'm thinking anybody placed in a situation like that with such a huge burden it it takes superhuman effort to be patient in a situation like that so maybe instead of working on patience and willpower maybe we have to examine all that we are doing and see if really all of it is really necessary and i guess that's part of the second challenge also which is we seem to be taking on a huge burden when it comes to parenting uh kids don't get to play as much especially outdoor play or yes. if yeah, if parents think of play, usually they think of competitive sports. So it's an extra thing to do to shuttle the child between one after-school activity after another. Or for, let's say, toddlers, when they think of play, they will think, oh, okay, I'll have to download these activity guides, prepare all of these materials. It seems like kids don't have free play anymore, play without any agenda, without any checklist to tick off, without the parent having to make a certain effort for the kids to play. But And the thing is, this kind of play, the free play, is actually crucial to every part of a child's brain development, from learning how to have a conversation, or learning how to get along with others, or learning how to plan and focus. Kids learn all of these from play. So, the American Academy of Pediatrics has seen what a huge problem this is. So they released a statement a few years ago telling pediatricians that we need to prescribe play to kids. Because of this lack of play, uh, not only is it depriving kids of experiences that they need, but it's also extremely exhausting for parents to feel that they need to fill every, every minute of a child's schedule with planned activities. Yes. And I never really thought of it that way that like of actually prescribing play. That was such an interesting phrasing and such an interesting thought. But, but we do have to, we do have to make it a prescription. We, I mean, it is, it is something to do for one's health. And it's so yeah. important. One of the other things is in terms of play is imagination. You know, kids, yeah, kids just don't have as much imagination anymore. Yeah, it's probably a combination both of the lack of play and sometimes uh, um, I actually I, I see I see this in a lot of uh, patients that I work with is they're very good when there are step by step instructions to follow. Because that's a lot of what we see now. Like if we see play now, there are really step by step instructions. But if if uh, when it comes to free play, sometimes they're 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 a bit of uh, when it comes to free play. Sometimes you're at a loss. Now, this is absolutely not a judgment on on the parents or on the kids, because that's how society is conditioning us. Society is telling us that that's the right way to play. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's the challenge of the COVID pandemic and. 
a lot of people have called this the worldwide stress test. Now, <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. Back, in, yeah, back in April 2020, I gave a lecture about the effect of the pandemic on child development. It was for a hospital I was affiliated with. And then I said, oh, don't worry with the right support. We can help our kids through the pandemic and our kids will be fine. So remember, that was in April 2020. Who would have thought that the pandemic would have stretched out to go on for such a long time? And I don't know if it's because the sheer length of the pandemic uh, combined with a lack of support because the entire system was just stressed so much. So we're seeing the researches coming out that it's affecting child development and mental health, and it's affecting kids and also affecting parents. So the parents were really stressed on every aspect from financial to emotional, psychological, even the physical health. A lot of families had to deal with bereavement and separation, which was really uh, difficult for parenting. Do you see us moving past that? And what do you feel are the lessons learned? Hmm. That's, that's actually a very interesting uh, question. And I think we are recovering. We can see how uh, in the past several months, kids have been going back to school and going back to face-to-face classes, and they've been having more and more in-person experiences. And I think a lot of families are now turned, especially here, there are a lot of families who are going to more nature, more spaces that are connected, that are more... More families have been going to spaces that are connected with nature because they realized during the pandemic how much they needed that. Um, where I am, we're quite mall-centric, so majority of the leisure time was really spent in malls. Wow. And during the yeah, and during the pandemic, of course, malls, you know, we couldn't go to malls so much. And a lot of families had to turn to going outdoors and going to nature. And I hope that's something that stays. And if you talk about the pandemic, it actually affects kids differently depending on how old they were. So, for example, developmentally, uh, teenagers are at the stage where they need more freedom and more time with same age peers. So imagine being at that stage and having to go on lockdown. And now, thankfully, they're having more of these experiences, these in-person experiences. But it doesn't mean that the other age groups weren't affected as well. For example, many toddlers and preschoolers ended up having online classes, but Young kids like toddlers and very young preschoolers, they're not wired to learn online because they need the 3D and in-person experiences, which it was only when the schools opened up again that they started having that. But regardless of the age, and I hope if we take one lesson away from all those years and the time that uh, we may have spent on lockdown, which may vary depending on where we are in the world, the one theme is creating connections. And it's quite obvious for toddlers and young kids that they need the connection. They really want to be with us all the time. And they don't want to be separated from us. So 
it's easy to recognize that toddlers and young kids really need the connection. But while it's not so obvious, it's also needed for older kids and teenagers. So it may even seem as if older kids and teenagers are pushing parents away. But in truth, they still need parents to connect with them and to listen to them. Well, and I think it's so important because it's also setting the tone for the rest of your life. If you're not a connected toddler, you're not a connected teenager, and then you're not a connected adult. And, you know, that's where it gets into the broader social pattern. Um, This is so fascinating, Dr. Victoria. Um, We do want to take a break right now, but we're going to come right back. Uh, We'll continue our conversation about healthy parenting. This is Healthy Wealthy You. We'll be right back. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Dr. Victoria, we were talking before uh, about uh, some of the themes and some of the challenges that you see in parenting today. Can you present us with some of your thoughts about your solutions? It's funny because recently, my colleagues and I, we were approached and asked to create a program for teen mental health. And I even told them, yes, definitely, we need a program for teen mental health. But we don't stop there. We need to focus on mental health and development starting from early childhood. As what we were saying earlier, it starts in early childhood. And the thing is, there are no easy solutions. It has to do with helping the parents, providing enough support. So it's something that we need to look at on a society level. And I'm glad that you're doing this. And that's one of the reasons also why I'm starting my podcast and all of us in the parenting space. If we can get the entire society working together to make parenting easier, Because sometimes it feels like society is stacked up 
against parenting. Yes. All, yes. <laughs> um, so I guess the best and most quick win solution would be for us individually to be present with our kids. That's something that uh, if, if we're parents listening to this, that would be the most uh, quick win solution that we can do that is within our control. So, of course, the ideal solution would be an entire change of the way society is structured. But for us, if we give some time to be truly present with our kids, it doesn't have to be that big, complicated thing. Sometimes we think that being present with our kids means planning this really big, expensive vacation. But it's actually about small moments of connection during the day. And it doesn't just mean physically being with our kids all the time, but actually taking the time to connect with them and being with them and having some time that we're with our kids without having any agenda, without a task list, without uh, listening to them, without judgment. And then to be able to do this, parents also need support. So we need to be mentally and emotionally healthy so that pa- parents are not constantly burned out and overburdened. I see a lot of shoulds that are stressing parents out. So for example, Absolutely. I yeah, like I hear all the time the misconceptions, for example, that kids need to learn to read by the age of three. So there's so much pressure to make kids achieve more and more at younger and younger ages. And this is stressing out so many moms. So what happens at the age of two or even at the age of one, they're doing all these lessons and worksheets so their kids will learn to read by age three. And it's not because they want to, but because they've been led to believe that that's what a responsible parent needs to do. So maybe it works for some, but for many, it doesn't work. So doing all these will take time away from when they should simply be playing and connecting and it affects the parent-child relationship. I've seen how it can affect a parent's stress levels. And kids feel like they never measure up to adult expectations. Because if we have an expectation like that, like for example, kids need to be reading by the age of two, but the brain of a typical two or three-year-old isn't wired to do that. So they carry this feeling, this feeling that they're not measuring up. They carry it with them even when they're older. Absolutely. I see that it's so true. And, and you know, a lot of the pressure of the, they have to read by three and they have to be a baby Mozart and, and, um, and also the motivation for a lot of the organized activities is because they're already thinking about getting into college. Like I've got to, I've got to play more than one musical instrument and I have to do I have to do at least two sports every every semester and I mean it's it it gets really out of hand and and it's amazing to me I mean sometimes I see kids not even start their homework till 10 o'clock at night because they've been in so many organized activities all day. I think one of the most common myths is that kids learn only if we're doing a lesson plan or doing structured learning activities. So because of this, uh, that's why parents feel pressured to do all of these structured activities starting from a very early age, from the age of two or maybe even earlier. But the thing is, kids are actually learning all the time whether or not we're aware of it. 
So um, if you have a toddler during meals, during bath time, and that's what I talk about in my book and also in my courses because parents feel that in order to quote-unquote parent, they have to set aside certain time, a certain amount of time to be a parent and then be structured about it. But the thing is, we can be present with our kids all throughout the day. And that's how kids learn. And that's, in fact, that's the best way that kids learn because it's not detached from what is happening in everyday life. And there are, uh, there are researches about this. Like, uh, for example, to be able to, for a child to be able to remember something, to retain it in long-term memory, it needs to be encoded into a part of the brain that's called the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. So the way we, we, the way we activate that is through meaningful everyday experiences, not by, let's say, getting out a chunk of the day and then doing a rote activity or doing a structured activity, but, but doing it throughout the day. And another myth is that uh, people feel that kids need to be kept productive and occupied all the time. Um, I feel like today, we're really afraid of boredom. Uh, I see that one of the... Uh, like I, I see this all over uh, social media and all over the internet. Like, okay, I give you the solution to bored kids, something like that. So the internet is full of advice on how to keep our kids constantly occupied. It's sad that now parents are made to feel guilty if their kids are not being productive all the time or if their kids are playing. But the thing is, kids actually need downtime. And during downtime, that's when they develop creativity. That's when they build imagination. That's when it builds resilience because they're given the space to problem solve instead of having everything decided for them. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that, you know, we just leave kids uh, all day or we leave a baby on the crib all day or a toddler on on a maybe play fence all day. But I guess we strive a balance. We strive a balance between having a routine between connecting and being with them and allowing also downtime, allowing free play and removing the burden from ourselves as parents that we need to structure their day. We need to schedule activities throughout their day and removing the burden that we need to keep them occupied every minute. Well, I just love that. I think I think you are just officially giving everyone permission to just relax and take it easy. And I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's true. So if you're a parent listening to this and you feel that you can't add on any more to your to-do list, just think of whether there's something you're doing right now that is related to these myths. Is there anything that you're doing that you don't want to, but you feel like you need to do it? And then maybe you can, maybe you can remove that. You know, one of the things I really love about your program is the emphasis on toddlers. And as we were saying, that developmental age of two or three years old is so critical It's such an important time when we develop as human beings, when we're asking questions, we're learning about the world, we're modeling our behavior. Um, Those are patterns that that get set and we carry through our life, um, not just in how we relate to our parents, but also how we relate to 
our job, our, our spouses, our own children, authority figures, like the whole world. Can you speak a little bit more to this toddler phase and this imprinting phase and how parents can make the most out of that time without pressure? Yeah, that's so true, Camille. And as we said also in the first part, I mentioned early relational health, that what we experience in early childhood affects every aspect of our lives, from how physically healthy we are as adults to how we see ourselves and our deepest beliefs about how the world works. And I think a lot of the pressure is coming from this because a lot of the marketing messages on the internet, they take this concept. And then they use it to sell all these things to parents. So there are all these programs that say, okay, early childhood is so important. So there are all these curriculums and lessons that tell parents to start teaching this now or start doing this now, or you need to buy this thing now so that your child will be smarter and you make the most out of this time. But that's not the point. That's why it's called early relational health, relationships. So early relational health, it's not about whether our toddlers are able to read sight words or count up to 50, but it's about whether there's someone with whom they have a safe and stable and nurturing relationship. That's huge. And, you know, a, a few weeks ago, I did a, a, a discussion on resilience. And one of the major criteria of being able to be resilient in life is that you have someone to guide you, a mentor, oftentimes someone who's not a parent, someone outside of the family who, who can really help you through difficult situations. And it's, it's one of the major measures of success in life to have that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for resilience, every child needs to have at least one safe and stable and loving and nurturing relationship. And that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge protective factor in their development. And I think it's such an important thing to, for parents to make sure that they give that to their child. I think that's absolutely huge. Yeah. And the one thing, yeah, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No. Uh, The one thing I want to emphasize here is what researchers call serve and return interactions. Now, I did not invent this. But there's an entire section on this in the website of the Center on the Developing Child at Harvard University. And there's a ton of research backing this up. So if you're a parent of a baby or a toddler, and if you do only one thing with your child, you do this. Do serve and return interactions. And the thing is, it's extremely easy. It's so powerful, and yet it's so easy to do. So serve and return, just like a game of tennis where one player serves, the other returns, and then they go back and forth. So there are five steps to this. The first step, you notice the serve. That means your child will look or point at something, or your child will say something. And even babies do this. Even babies uh, who aren't talking yet, they will look at something, so let's say, it's is it a bird flying outside the window? So you notice it, and then you look at it. Then the next step, you return the serve by supporting and encouraging. So in the example earlier of the bird outside the window, so smile. You can bring your child or your baby near the window and look at it together. Then mm-hmm. the third step is 
you give it a name. So you can say something like, oh, that's a bird. And then you can describe it further. You can say, wow, it's chirping. It flew away. So this forms a connection. And at the same time, it builds language skills. It builds social skills. And then the fourth step, you take turns and wait. So after you said that, you pause. And then you let your baby or your toddler respond. Maybe it's by babbling. It's by pointing, getting excited. You'll see a reaction. Then you keep the interaction going back and forth. And then even if it's a baby and the baby responds by babbling, it's already like you're having a conversation with a baby. And then the final step is to practice endings and beginnings. And this means we recognize the cues when the baby or the toddler is ready to end an activity and rest or move on to the next activity. So for example, in the example earlier, if the baby now turns away from the window and then their attention goes to something else, then we can also take the cues from there. So a lot of moms have already written to me about this and said that they're so happy with this because it's fun to do, it's not difficult, it requires no preparation, and they really see how their kids get so delighted by doing this. I love how specific you are. That was such a great example and I think I think that you know, we can model that example in many different ways. I love that. I, we do want to take a break right here, but um, please stay with us. We're going to come back with more of Dr. Victoria. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. We're talking with Dr. Victoria about healthy parenting. And I wanted to ask you, um, the way children are raised in our society is actually very different from the way children have been raised historically. And the way that children are raised um, in most parts of the world, even today, actually 
we're we're outliers in in how we raise our children. Um, we segregate children from society. We don't engage them in adult activities. Um, they play while parents do chores. They eat separate foods. They they go off to their separate playrooms by themselves, and they spend you know as we said earlier huge amounts of time interacting with screens. Um, so they grow up with a strong feeling of isolation, and you mentioned earlier also that that it causes them to feel less. Um, and and because of this separation, they have to make a bigger leap into adult activities um, instead of naturally evolving into them. Um, and I I see this quite particularly in terms of chores and helping around the house. I think that that toddlers actually enjoy feeling a part of things, participating. You can't you can't start teaching your kid how to cook or do laundry when they're 18 and ready to go off to college. Um, so that's that's why I think this emphasis on toddlers is so important. And I'm wondering if you could speak a bit more to that isolation and what you see in your practice. Um, and uh, how it impacts children as they grow up. Yeah, that's so true, Dr. Camille. Uh, kids do need to participate in chores that are right for their age because when they do this, it shows them that they're needed in the family and they make a positive contribution. And I guess this all boils down to a combination of the myths, um, the myths that we need to have kids do all of these things so they're overscheduled. And then the parent has to be able to do all of these activities for the kids while at the same time doing the chores. Or sometimes they feel that they need to prepare a set of activities to keep the kids out of the way while they're doing chores. And then parents get frustrated, even me. Personally, if I try to keep my kid occupied there in some corner, in their own corner while I'm doing chores, they don't want to. And sometimes that's why parents resort to screen time because it's as the screen is the only thing that is more compelling than whatever it is a parent is doing. And then parents will say, for example, I bought this toy or got this activity for my child so that, for example, while I'm folding laundry or while I'm cleaning the room, uh, they'll be out of the way. But then the child, of course, will find whatever it is that the parent is doing more fascinating than that toy. And it's only the screen that can top that. So they end up giving yes. screen time. Yes. So I don't know if um, this is actually something that I've tried and it has worked for me and it has worked for many of the parents I've worked with is to include them in an age-appropriate way. And whether it is in folding laundry or taking out the trash or cleaning up. And I know, I, I know I can imagine the objections that I'm hearing. Definitely it's going to be harder, it's going to be more difficult. But even if it takes longer, just think of it. Instead of feeling pressured to separately set up an activity and then later on find connection time and then finishing the chores, maybe the chores will take longer because we involve the kids, 
But we do all three at the same time. The activity, the connection, and the chores. And the thing is, we're building this not just for today, but for all the way in the future. And uh, I remember this is something that I asked uh, at some point also. Um, do we spend the time today so that they're ready for the future? Or in the future, we're going to be so stressed trying to get our older kids to learn these uh, essential self-help skills, these uh, what we call activities of daily living, because we didn't spend the time today. Again, there's no judgment here because um, this is the way that uh, we're, this is the way that everybody tells us we need to parent. So um, again, I guess in this show, we're giving them permission that it's okay not to do what everybody else is doing. And yeah. Well, and also, you know, I, I first became aware of, of this difference in parenting uh, through an article that I read uh, on NPR many, many years ago. And in this article, they were interviewing um, uh, a, a mother of five, um, and, and she was Mayan. And they they asked her if it was stressful to have five children. And she didn't even understand the word stress. They had to go back and forth a couple of times with the translator before she even understood the question. And then all she did was laugh. Why, why would having five children be stressful? She couldn't even understand the concept. But they very much have this sense of inclusion with children. The children want to feel included. They want to feel, it makes them feel important and valued to participate in the same activities as adults. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, maybe kids don't feel as valued anymore. Because, uh, for example, when adults are talking, uh, people always say that, okay, okay, you go do your thing because this is adult conversation. But I also say this in my book, Toddler Talking. Let's include them in family conversations. Let's have at least one meal together every day as a family. And um, I'm here where I am, uh, kids are actually less separate compared to the Western world. Like, for example, here, uh, it's common to have uh, the family sleeping in one room. Uh, Co-sleeping is quite common. But the thing is, there's a lot on the internet that is telling the people here that the Western, uh, that, that separating kids is ideal. So parents actually feel guilty for the entire family sleeping in one room. So if anybody here is in that situation and feels guilty about it, that's not necessarily the ideal. But um, it may be a good thing that the entire family is in one room. Don't feel guilty if you're doing that. Well, and I do want to say for our listeners, when you say here, um, um, Dr. Oh. Victoria is in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so she's she's speaking to to the culture there. Yeah. So um, I actually love how uh, we're blending here the Eastern and the Western cultures, and we're building a respect for all of the cultures because I think all of the cultures have something wonderful to offer to everybody, and we take the best out of all of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, on an, another matter, I know one of the things that I hear about a lot um, from parents is their concerns about peer pressure and the influences that children get when they're away from the family, such as at school. Can you speak to that? 
Well, this is based on observations of families I have worked with over the years and also from my mentors and from research. Well, first is that it really starts in early childhood. So our kids need to learn. They can trust us. We love them unconditionally. So they don't need to try to do all sorts of things to please anyone because that's really what peer pressure is at heart. We give in to peer pressure because we believe we need to do something in order to please others, even if we don't want to do it, because deep down, we don't feel loved unconditionally. So that's why starting in early childhood, we need to have built that strong relationship with them. We need to involve them in the family, in our conversations. We need to get into the habit of asking them about their day and also us sharing our thoughts with them listening to them. So when they're older, it won't be as difficult for them to share the challenges they're going through. Then second, and this is something I learned when I went through training in child protection. From the start, teach your child how to distinguish between people who are safe and not safe. So this can apply to safe and safe uh, and unsafe adults. And this can also apply to peer pressure. So teach your kids, they don't need to do anything if they're not comfortable with it. It's okay to set boundaries. And it's okay to say no. That's why I've always been against teaching kids to obey without question. I know there are many people who believe that we should teach kids to obey without question. And then I also hear that uh, we're not supposed to say no to our kids. But the thing is, kids need to say that it's okay for us to say no to them. They need to know that no is not a bad word and saying no doesn't make us bad people. Then third Regardless of how old or how young your child is, have regular times when it's just you and your child, even if they're already teenagers. So this can be right after they arrive from school, or maybe you have a favorite activity that both of you enjoy. And then listen without judgment, because a lot of parents of teens tell me that this is really valuable. That's when their teen will suddenly confide something casually that no amount of questioning will be able to bring out. And then it may also mean simply listening without giving advice or without do doing anything to fix the child's problem. And I know this is hard to do as a parent because we want to fix things. We don't want to see our kids upset, but we need to discern if we need to let them handle something on their own. Like, for example, if a child reveals that her friend said, she doesn't, maybe a child reveals that, oh, my friend said she doesn't want to be my friend anymore. And then I know as parents, we're tempted to either say something like, cheer up, who needs your friend? You'll make other friends. Or I've even seen parents who step in, they call the friend's parents, they say, hey, how come your child doesn't want to be friends with my kid anymore? They should be friends. But the thing is, actions like these might make kids less likely to confide in them in the future. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's better to, just acknowledge that, yes, it hurts when someone you consider a friend doesn't want to be friends anymore. And at the same time, giving them space to work out their own solutions, while at the same time being clear that you're there to support them and your child is not alone. Can you speak to people who are in a contentious situation with their teenagers? What would you suggest? It can be a vicious cycle because it's already contentious. And then each interaction can reinforce that. So if that's the case, if I, when I have a patient in that situation, when I I'm working with a family in that situation, I tell them, start with connection. So 
you start by being there and listening with listening to your child and doing a non-threatening activity that both of you enjoy. And at the start, definitely, it's going to be met with suspicion because of all of those previous interactions. And maybe all of that has been programmed into not just the teen's brain, but also the parent's brain. So the parent has to be mentally and emotionally healthy for this. Absolutely. If, if they need to get professional help to be mentally and emotionally healthy, then uh, there's no shame in getting professional help. And then just start with something neutral and then connect without judgment and then move on, move on from there. You know, one thing I find so helpful, and I think this is true, not just with teenagers, but I find with spouses or anybody that you're you know, in the family that you're contentious with is just sit down next to them and just silently just put your arms around them and just hold them until, until they get it, until they feel the love. I, I just yeah. find it to be such a powerful technique. Yeah, that's true. And it also has to do with the mindset. Uh, when, when we're doing that as parents, we don't think about a hidden agenda. Like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm connecting with my child, I'm just waiting for when my child will be able to open up enough so that my child will listen to me or so that I can tell my child to do this. We have to let go of all of that because kids can smell that. And, and <laughs> they've, they've learned to distrust that already. They've learned, okay, uh, they're connecting with me. So when is it coming? When is the lecture coming? And it will take a lot of convincing before they will realize that, no, this is really for connection and there's no lecture coming. And we have to repair the relationship. It's all about uh, repairing the relationship. That's why if there are parents of young kids listening here, we really need to bring, build a strong relationship because it's so much easier to build a strong relationship compared with repairing a relationship that hasn't been built. Yes. In the remaining time, can you tell us more about your podcast, Discerning Parenting? Um, what insights can you share with parents that they can begin to use today? Yeah, thanks, Camille, for the opportunity to share about the podcast. Uh, as parents, we're faced with so many decisions. We're bombarded with so much advice. And many moms feel like they're always trying so hard, and yet it's never enough. And they hear criticism of their parenting, or maybe they see another post on Instagram that tells them, okay, you have to do this and that, but then they don't have time for it. And then they feel guilty and it's stressing them out. And then they feel that they failed or that they're bad parents. And I created Discerning Parenting to help with that because I want to help parents discern the advice, the information, all of this that they can get so that they can filter what they let in and they can make good parenting decisions and they can parent with more joy and calm. So uh, it's so funny we were talking about peer pressure. Uh, the thing is peer pressure isn't just for teens, but parents also experience peer pressure because we believe that, true. let's say, the more likes a post has, the more true it is, or the more testimonials a product task that the better it is and this peer pressure is making parenting more exhausting like uh, parents uh, see that there's something that 
everybody else is doing. And then they're afraid that if they didn't, don't do that, their kids will miss out and will be left behind. And there's uh, sometimes there's also parenting advice that will claim there's only one right way to do something. Like, for example, the only way to get your baby to sleep is for your baby to be in her own room, leaving her there. And if you do anything else, like if you sleep in the same room, you've failed and you're breeding bad sleep habits. I mean, when I was pregnant, I saw a lot of advice like this. But the truth is, does science really support that? And and also, everyone's situation is different. And yes. that's what I want to talk about in the Discerning Parenting podcast. We'll talk about different parenting issues from tantrums and discipline to helping uh, toddlers learn to talk to sleep, potty training, feeding, and issues like that through the framework of science applied to your situation. And we also tell moms to trust your own mom intuition. Because parents' intuition is very valuable. And all throughout history, moms have been told to go against their own intuition. Like decades ago when experts told moms that they should ignore their babies when they cry, otherwise their babies will be spoiled. And then later on today, we know that, no, we're not supposed to ignore babies when they cry. So uh, it's issues like these that I talk about in uh, discerning parenting. And if you're the parent of a child age five and below, uh, watch out for it because it's coming next week. So you head over also to discerningparenting.com so you'll know when the first few episodes will be out. Well, this has really been a delightful conversation. I feel like I learned a lot from you and I really thank you, Dr. Victoria. And I wish you so much luck with your podcast. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you so much, Dr. Camille. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.